Thank you guys for listening in today. I am your host, Nick, and this is History's Great Mysteries. I hope everyone's days are going well. Uh, exposition, exposition. Okay, who is ready to jump way back in time today? And it's always a testament to me when a mystery can truly withstand you know, the test of time. Because if you think about it, that indicates that the mystery is both intriguing enough to stay within our knowledge, but also it's compelling enough to have not, you know, been definitively solved yet, even after all these years. And, you know, I love the sound of that, especially, especially when modern scientific advancements only serve to compound the mystery rather than solve it, because there's countless mysteries out there that, in, and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. with everything that we know today, we look back and we're like, oh, this is what happened. But for some of them, some of the really extraordinary mysteries, like the one I'm going to cover today, that is not the case. So forgive me uh, by staying a little vague here, but without further ado, let me introduce you guys to an extraordinary man. I know you've all heard the name, a man that uh, very well may have predicted every major historical event since his death, including the Great Fire of London, World War II, 9-11, and maybe even the coronavirus. I, of course, speak of the mystical and legendary figure commonly known as Nostradamus. The story begins way back in the year of 1501, when Michel de Nostradame was born in southern France. He had nine siblings in a hard-working family that, you know, did alright for themselves, financially speaking. Uh, he had close relatives of both Catholic and Jewish faith, and by all accounts in his young childhood, he immediately stood out as intelligent and wise beyond his years. It was his grandfather who kind of took him under his wing and accelerated his education while also introducing him to the ancient rites of Jewish uh, tradition and mysticism that involved astrology, which is where many believe he uh, first gained his aptitude and interest in all things celestial. As he continued through his education, he eventually attended the University of Avignon, where he studied medicine, and as things would turn out, it was a very important time in the world to be well-read in the field of medicine, as the bubonic plague was in full swing, especially in France. His education came to a screeching halt initially because of the bubonic plague, and Nostradam took this time to travel around, conducting personal research on herbs and other scientific endeavors. Eventually, he was able to complete his education and became licensed to practice medicine in 1525, at which point he Latinized his name and henceforth forever became known as Nostradamus. He spent the following few years treating people that were struck with the plague, and it's actually well documented his practices at this time. You have to keep in mind that in this time in Europe, people lived in relative filth compared to modern times. There was little to no bathing whatsoever, no forms of waste management, and the doctors practiced crude techniques that very rarely included you know, disinfecting or cleaning. But this is where Nostradamus made his first marks in history books, as he demonstrated some never-before-seen uh, never before, before techniques when dealing with the plague that included 
moving dead bodies off of the streets and away from people or vitamins and herbs that increase immune system health or keeping his patients clean and dry some next level stuff right and it became well known that Nostradamus had a knack for saving people and keeping his patients healthy for this reason uh, for this reason Nostradamus rose to prominence and fame in France a pedestal from which he would later be able to use his name to spread a different kind of fame now to wrap up his early life we have to dig a little bit into the tragedy of his life during his rise to fame, uh, when everything was going right for young Nostradamus, he also married and had two children. However, a couple years later, he was off in Italy on some sort of medical mission when his entire family came down with the plague and died before he could return to them. Um, this evidently had a profound impact on Nostradamus, and this in addition to the rising pressure from the ongoing church inquisition at the time, led him to leave France and wander around Europe for a while. And remember, you know, Nostradamus, uh, although he didn't identify as Jewish, he did have Jewish ties and upbringing that maybe could have been a death sentence for him during this inquisition. So he wisely left uh, before there was ever even a chance of that occurring. So... There he was, distraught, exiled, but wise beyond belief, and looking for answers. He visited several ancient mystic schools and learned what he could. And it was also around this time that he had some sort of psychic awakening, and from that point on, he would begin his trek to become the most well-known and influential psychic in the history of mankind. One of the first displays of this newfound power came about while he was wandering through Italy. Apparently, and this is a story that cannot really be verified definitively, but it still exists in his narrative, is that he was passing a group of unassuming travelers and declared one man among them that, uh, that would become the Pope one day. And you'll fast forward a few decades, and what do you know, the man, Felice Peretti, was ordained Pope Sixtus V. Eventually, Nostradamus returned back to France, where he began to hone his psychic abilities. Apparently, he started out using his combined apothecary skills in that Nostradamus would sit in a dark room that was lit with candles and other herbs going on, um, and he would just sit in front of a bowl of water in front of him and just stare into it for hours to uh, hopefully bring on these vi visions and divulge his predictions for the future. As time went on, and he became more adventurous and confident in his abilities, he would eventually incorporate astrology, uh, ancient mysticism, and ancient religious te techniques to bring on these psychic epiphanies. But he didn't just uh, jump straight into predicting 9-11. He first started off a little bit smaller than that. In his first publication of Psychic Predictions, Nostradamus simply wrote an almanac for the following year that included predictions for things like weather, crops, economy, and smaller scale events within France. Nostradamus was also very lucky because it was just earlier in this century that the printing press had become prevalent and powerful, just enough to mass distribute uh, his books and his prints. So his little almanac actually sold like hotcakes, and he became even more famous and renowned than he already was in the country. Encouraged by the positive response to his predictions in the almanac, uh, Nostradamus channeled all of his energy over the next year into creating his most ambitious predictions yet. What he crafted would eventually become the work that he is most well known for, Les Prophecies, an 
epic collection of quatrains spanning predictions for over 2,000 years in the future. In total, there are more than 100 predictions, and for the remainder of the podcast, when I referred to a prophecy, it probably came from this publication, Les Prophecies. There's an excellent full PDF translated version online that I have linked on my Facebook page on the post for this episode if you guys are interested and want to take a look for yourselves. So anyways, he publishes this work. Uh, Some people are all aboard on this psychic ability idea, while other scholars of the time are skeptical to say the least. So overall, there's mixed reviews. Much like today, to be honest, people who are a bit more open-minded to this whole process believe that Nostradamus really truly possesses some sort of psychic ability, while others just straight up just call him a quack. But one person who didn't dismiss him during this time was Catherine de' Medici, the wife of King Henry II of France. She called upon Nostradamus to join the royal family and make predictions and counsel them. It was here with Catherine de' Medici that Nostradamus made one of his most compelling prophecies ever. Years earlier, before even being hired by the royal family, Nostradamus had made a prediction as follows. The young lion will overcome the older one on the field of combat in a single battle. He will pierce his eyes through a golden cage. Two wounds made one, then he dies a cruel death. Nostradamus feared that the king himself, King Henry, uh, was the subject of his prophecy, and he actually warned the king that he should not partake in any ceremonial jousting or one-on-one combat to avoid this cruel fate that is foretold in this in this quatrain. But sure enough, three years later, King Henry accepts a ceremonial jousting match out of pride and honor against a younger combatant. Then, during a pass in the joust, the lance of his opponent actually splintered and entered straight through the visor of King Henry's helmet, piercing his eyes and into his brain. King Henry endured ten long days on the brink of death before he finally succumbed to infection and died at the age of 41. This almost exactly mirrors the telling within Nostradamus's quatrain, for which Nostradamus specifically pointed out to King Henry, which says a lot. And most importantly, this event occurred during his lifetime, which, you know, it was scary accurate, and it's and it's the it's the prophecy that a lot of his believers point to as one of the strongest indications that Nostradamus is really a true psychic. But as I'm sure you've considered, the quatrain is you know, it supposedly refers to the death of King Henry, it's not really detailed. Like, it doesn't actually say his name. It's actually quite vague, really, isn't it? The young lion, two wounds made one, uh, a general battle. I mean, if Nostradamus knew that it was referring to King Henry, why didn't he just say his name by name? Why didn't he just give the date and exactly how it happened? He could have stopped it, right? Well, to this, there are many responses. Some say that Nostradamus was intentionally vague as to avoid persecution from the church that could possibly label him as a heretic, a devil worshiper, um, if one of his predictions came out to be uncannily true, right? Then they say, you are working with the devil, we're going to persecute you, right? Another explanation, one that I might favor a bit more, is that Nostradamus perhaps only caught glimpses of the future, bits of blurry information, not enough to know the names, the places, the dates, but enough to get the gist of the event, the imagery of it. And that could explain why Nostradamus 
warned King Henry, like, hey, this prophecy might have been about you. I might have seen you. But he couldn't give him specifics to be sure. And as I continue on with this podcast, you will come to find that pretty much all of his quatrains in Les Prophecies are frustratingly vague, just enough to not definitively say that he's a psychic, but also not inaccurate enough to just write him off. But anyways, after this prediction comes true with King Henry, Nostradamus gains a kind of grim respect that comes along with his fame. Later in his life, he would describe the basis for his techniques when it came to seeing the future. And essentially, it involved judicial astrology in which the movement of celestial bodies in the past and the events that coincided with those movements could predict similar events in the future when those celestial events happened again, right? And this is kind of the modern idea of astrology. There was much more that went into it, but this was the basis for him. Um, It's a belief system that, to a certain extent, still is prevalent today. The idea that things that happened in the past during a certain astronomical event are more likely to happen again. So, while many during this time and for the rest of history want to write him off, it's difficult to do so, quite simply because it's near impossible to disprove the the techniques that are at use here. In 1566, at the ripe old age of 63, Uh, Nostradamus apparently made one final prediction to his secretary one night in that you will not find me alive at sunrise. And sure enough, the next morning, Nostradamus was found dead. But the legacy of Nostradamus lives on far past his physical life in this world, which is the reason he warrants an episode in history's great mysteries. And I'm sure you're wondering why. Like, why is it that his legacy is so strong? What are these prophecies that have apparently come true? Well, strap yourselves in, because I'm going to go over some of the most popular Nostradamus predictions contained within his famous work, Les Prophecies. And let's try to go chronological here. So we'll start out with uh, the Great Fire of London that occurred in 1666. Apparently, Nostradamus predicted the event, the date, and the place all correctly in one quatrain, and I will read it to you now. The blood of the just will commit a fault at London. Burnt through lightning of twenty-threes the six, the ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. Again, perhaps it's disappointingly vague, but let's dig a little bit deeper into the words here. Clearly, he refers to a mistake being made, a fault in London, which is absolutely correct. It is thought that the Great Fire of London began by accident within a bakery. In the next line, he uses the word burnt to indicate a fire, but he also says through lightning, which is a very real way that lightnings or that fires can start through lightning, but it's absolutely not correct in this case. Diehard supporters of Notre Dame will say, okay, well, lightning here is a metaphor. It's not literal lightning, but rather uh, a quick, deadly metaphor like lightning, right? That the fire was quick, it was deadly, just like lightning is. And this is a common theme that we will see as I continue on with these prophecies, in that for every vague line, uh, both believers and deniers have an explanation for it. It's just up to you guys what is right and what is wrong, I suppose. But anyways, the next words of the quatrain are, the tw- of 23's the 6, which adds to 66. Uh, 23's and 6 adds to 66. And the fire did indeed occur in the year of 1666. Uh, The ancient lady will fall from her high place is thought either to reference London itself as the ancient lady that fell that day, 
or perhaps it refers to St. Paul's Cathedral that was completely destroyed in the flames. Several of the same sect being killed could refer to many deaths among the same religious group, or the fact that most of the deaths were London's impoverished. Okay, so another prediction, this time of the French Revolution. From the enslaved populace, songs, chants, and demands, while princes and lords are held captive in prisons, these will in the future by headless idiots be received as divine prayers. This one is a bit more self-explanatory than most of his other prophecies. Uh, the desperate, perhaps enslaved populace of France did indeed chant and demand that the princes and lords come to face their punishment, which often led to them being held captive in prisons and then eventually being beheaded via the newly popular guillotine, which may refer to those headless idiots. And was it all received as a divine prayer from the people for a better tomorrow? Now, was World War I and the deadly Spanish flu predicted? So let me give you that one. The horrible war which is being prepared in the West. The following year will come the pestilence, so very horrible that young, old, nor beast, blood, fire, mercury, Mars, Jupiter, and France. So clearly, <laughs> we have the horrible war, which, I mean, if you squint both eyes and kind of tilt your head sideways, it may have been prepared in Western Europe. You know, he says the horrible, horrible war, which was prepared in the West. Uh, but although, I mean, I would argue, and most historians would agree, that it was set in motion by Eastern Europe, right? The assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in Austria. But of course, there's that irrefutable uh, line that follows that says, the following year will come the pestilence, so horrible that young and old alike will perish. And this is indeed exactly chronologically how it played out, as the deadly Spanish flu swept across the globe in 1918 and 1919. So how about World War II and the rise of Hitler? Is there any way he could have predicted this as well? Beasts ferocious from hunger will swim across rivers. The greater part of the region will be against the hister. The great one will cause it to be dragged in an iron cage when the German child will observe nothing. Now, of all the quatrains I looked at across several different sources and translations, this one is the one that varies the most in, in wording and phrasing. No one can seem to agree on the correct translation, and as a result, there are hefty debates on the merits of this quatrain predicting World War II and Hitler. Obviously, you have the first line, the beasts ferocious and hungry swimming across rivers, which could refer to literally any war in which armies cross rivers, but then you have the interesting second line that refers to a region being against the hister. Now yes, that word hister is awfully close to Hitler, and again, many believers point to this and say, well, he had several quatrains that contained that same word, hister, and in each of them he was actually referring to Hitler, while other historians argue hister was referring to a portion of the Danube River. It's a physical location, the southern part of the Danube River. So to say that someone is up against hister could work if hister is a person or a river. It's tough to say, to be sure. One interesting thing that I found that I hadn't seen speculation on anywhere else, I couldn't really find anything about this, but it, it caught me. Like As I was reading through uh, the works, I found um, an interesting line in his almanac of 1558 of Nostradamus' almanac, and specifically it's the line, Rain, wind, forces, Barbarossa, hister, the Tyrrhenian sea. 
I remember I remember reading this line and stopping dead in my tracks. Like, if we're to believe, that even for a second, that Hister refers to the man Hitler, then what was that pesky little word that came just before it in that last line? Barbarossa. I thought immediately of Operation Barbarossa. This, of course, was the infamous German declaration of attack on their then-allies Russia in 1941. How strange is it that the oddly specific name of an operation that was carried out by Hitler accompanies his reported name in one of Nostradamus's prophecies? And I dug a little deeper on this because I had read that the Nazi regime did know about Nostradamus and his predictions, and the Nazis even embraced some of his prophecies, claiming that their rise to power had already been foretold. Actually, when Germany invaded France, they dropped propaganda leaflets all throughout Paris, saying essentially like, hey, your own Frenchman, Nostradamus, had already foretold our triumph. So I was thinking, okay, they knew about him and his prophecies, Maybe that's the connection with the word Barbarossa. Maybe they knew about it, and that's why they named it the Operation Barbarossa. So I searched for the reasoning behind it, and, you know, why did Hitler call it Operation Barbarossa? And no, the operation was apparently named after Frederick Barbarossa, the Holy Roman Emperor in the late 12th century. So it left, like, a little bit of a lingering mystery in my stomach but again this all hinges on whether or not you believe hister is referring to hitler or the danube river okay so let's keep going how about the atomic bombs that were dropped in japan during the end of world war ii let's see what that quatrain has to say near the gates and within two cities there will be two scourges the like of which was never seen famine within plague people put out by steel crying to the great immortal god for relief. So the first line, near the gates, is also sometimes translated as near the ports, which both Nagasaki and Hiroshima were port cities. The next line, there will be two scourges, the like of which was never seen, is pretty self-explanatory. The atomic bombs brought on destruction never before seen by the human race. Famine within plague, and people put out by steel. Now, this is an interesting line because, of course, we have the famine and the plague, which could point to the radiation poisoning and the disease that was caused by the drop. But then the words put out by steel. It's actually sometimes translated as put out by metals. And wouldn't you know it, atomic bombs use heavy metals, in this case plutonium, to kill. Quite literally, put out by metal. And, of course, you have that tragic final line, crying to the great immortal god, relief. Fast forward a few more years, there is some thought that Nostradamus may have predicted the moon landings. He will come to go into the corner of Luna, where he will be captured and put in a strange land. The unripe fruits will be the subject of great scandal, great blame, to one great praise. Okay, so we have he, mankind, coming to the corner of Luna which is Latin for moon, where he will be captured in a strange land, perhaps actually literally meaning captured, as in captured on video for the entire world to witness. And then the final two lines involving scandal and blame or some praise to others could refer to the varying reactions and opinions uh, that the United States received having landed on the moon first. To some, it warranted praise, while to others perhaps blame. This is another one of those slightly too vague prophecies to be conclusive in any direction. And let's move on into modern times, one that perhaps he is maybe most well known for. 
the supposed prediction of 9-11 and the terrorist attacks in the United States. Let me read this one for you. Earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth will cause tremors around the new city. Two great rocks will war for a long time. Then Eurythasia will redden a new river. Earth-shaking fire makes enough sense here, and from the center of the earth, some believers refer to the oil used in the planes that also perhaps fueled the resulting fire in the explosions. Is that from the center of the earth line? Uh, deniers will insist that Nostradamus is clearly referencing a volcano here. I mean, earth-shaking fire from the center of the earth, that, eh, that's pretty cut and dry a volcano in my mind, at least. I could definitely see that. But anyways, we have the next line, the two great rocks warring for a long time. This could mean two great rocks is literally two different countries on two different lands that are plunging into war after that earth-shaking fire, which did indeed happen. Or the two rocks could refer to the two religions that are at play here, Christianity and Islam. This Eurythasia is a nymph in Greek mythology, and no one has really any good idea of what that has to do with 9-11, so they kind of just skip over that line. But then the reddening of a new river, uh, obviously this could mean the spilling of blood, perhaps literally into a river, maybe the Hudson River, that winds through New York City. And there are actually some other verses that uh, some people claim also talk about 9-11, like, at 45 degrees, the sky will burn, fire to approach the great new city, which has similar merits and faults. New York City doesn't sit at 45 degrees latitude or longitude, um, and if you guys do remember, in the aftermath of 9-11, as the world was trying to make sense of the tragedy, verses from Nostradamus started popping up everywhere online. Um, as people were convinced that he had foretold this in some way. But many of his quatrains began to get jumbled. Lines were being edited. Uh, separate verses were being thrown together where they didn't belong. And in all likelihood, if you did see a post online, it was mostly not truthful to the actual words, to Nostradamus's actual predictions and his quatrains as they were originally written. So it's important to dig a little deeper and not just take what you see at face value. I mean... That's true of anything in life, I would say, but especially here, when Nostradamus was confusing enough already. And I'll round out his modern prophecies with perhaps the most recent one. Could Nostradamus have actually predicted the coronavirus? Here's the quatrain that most people are pointing to. The sloping park, great calamity, to be done through Hesperia and Insubria, the fire in the ship, plague and captivity, Mercury in Sagittarius, Saturn will fade. You guys may have seen this idea pick up steam online recently, as some people have, you know, their own take on how this fits with coronavirus pandemic. Some people get specific and that maybe that first line, the sloping park, refers to a park that's in Wuhan, China, uh, in which there are slopes, but <laughs> that seems like a little bit of a stretch for me. But the great calamity is self-evident enough. This is a calamity. Uh, and then the next line, to be done through Hyperia and Insubria, in Insubria I believe. Uh, these are regions in Italy. I mean, these are old names for regions in Italy, but in Italy nonetheless, where we all know coronavirus swept through earlier in the year with deadly ferocity. And then the fire in the ship could perhaps refer to maybe the cruise ships that are being stranded, or maybe it's the decline in trade and commerce that has resulted. 
plague and captivity uh, refer to the disease, the disease itself mixed with the lockdowns and the quarantine that I'm sure we've all experienced. Um, and then Mercury in Sagittarius refers to the astrological movement of Mercury entering Sagittarius that actually did occur in December of 2019, which many say was the outset of the pandemic, Like, and it was in many ways. Now, Saturn fading could mean Saturn waning, or quite literally that the that Saturn's rings are fading, which is legitimately something that is happening <laughs> that I found out while I was looking this up, which is kind of scary and a little bit disheartening, the idea that the rings are fading away. But in any degree, there is no real consensus here with that last line. But through it, are you convinced that he predicted coronavirus, or are you convinced that he predicted anything at all that I covered today? Do you believe that he had any kind of real psychic power? Or do you believe that psychic powers aren't even a real thing to begin with? Well, get your thoughts in order, because I am now going to go over some of the more common beliefs and theories when it comes to not only Nostradamus and his predictions, but also on the idea of psychic phenomena in general. So the first theory I'll talk about is that Nostradamus is a complete fake, in that there is no amount of truth to his psychic abilities or his prophecies. But then how do you account for all of his predictions and the various ways that they came true? Well, it's simple, some say, in that it's just a game of probability. There was this documentary on Nostradamus that explained this perfectly, actually. Imagine that you have a roulette table, right, a roulette wheel, and you're trying to predict what color or number the ball will land on. You can be vague if you want and just say the color, like black, like Nostradamus is sometimes very vague. Let's imagine that all he says sometimes in his quatrains is the color black. Well, then you do have this semi-high chance of being right. Or sometimes you can be more specific and say black 33. There's a small chance of being right on the next spin, but the way that Nost most of Nostradamus's prophecies work is that he just talks about an event. And statistically speaking, at some point after enough time passes, that event is bound to happen in one way or another, right? So with the roulette wheel comparison, let's imagine that Nostradamus does make a bolder, less vague prediction about an event, Black 33, maybe he gives a place and a date on a prediction. Well, year after year, as it goes by, the roulette wheel is being spun over and over again. The chance of it happening happens over and over again. And eventually, when it lands on Black 33, <laughs> everyone turns around and looks at him and goes, oh my god, look at that. Nostradamus predicted it. But, you know, in reality, it's just a matter of time. It's a clever game of probability. And even in some of his more specific, specific quatrains, I know you're probably thinking about a couple. Uh, take, for instance, the Fire of London in 1666. You say, well, hey, he predicted a fire in that exact year. But... Not really. I mean, he never actually said the year 1666. All he said was 66, which comes around every century, right? So history was finally able to match up a fire that occurred in 1666, and then bang, you have one of his prophecies coming true. And of course, these deniers will point out, you know, nobody talks about the countless predictions that Nostradamus made that never came true. And some, yes, you could use the excuse, well, they haven't come true yet, but some of them you can't say that. For instance, there was a quatrain that contained the line, the year 1999, seventh month, from the sky will come a great king of terror. And diehard believers of Nostradamus obviously took this in 1999 and said that the end of the world is near in the seventh month. 
some kind of terror will come from the sky and and you know some of you might actually remember this, this there was a small amount of chaos that uh, coincided with this date when it actually occurred but sure enough the seventh month of 1999 came and went without much incidents at all and it seemed that the prophecy could only be described as well false and even furthermore there has never been a reliable account of anyone taking a nostradamus quatrain and applying it to something successfully in the future. It's only much after the fact that an event happens and people take the vague phrases and connect the dots and say, voila, he had a prediction on it all along, but it was stretching it. It was connecting the dots after it happened, right? And, you know, I do admit, what about the undeniably specific and accurate prediction of the jousting death of King Henry? How can you explain that with this logic? And quite simply, you can't, unless you're willing to say it was a wild coincidence. So maybe it's time to consider perhaps something more is at play here. Some people can look at the whole picture of Nostradamus and say, okay, maybe, maybe there is something more going on here that we don't quite understand, but the truth is forever lost to us for several reasons. First, Nostradamus's writings have been translated, retranslated, reformatted, edited, and then translated again countless times. And even if we are getting to the real words, it's well known that he used heavily colloquial terminology and meanings that would only truly be understood if you lived in his exact time and place and region and knew him. So we have long since kind of lost the real meanings behind his prophecies. And even more than that, pop culture is so desperate to connect anything and everything to Nostradamus that it's more li- more than likely that everything is stretched and contorted so much of what you see, you know, in press and whatnot that you can't really trust it. Another theory moving towards uh, the full believer side of things is that Nostradamus really truly possessed psychic powers and he could eloquently predict the future accurately on almost every account. Obviously, the backers of this theory take all of his correct or semi-correct prophecies and point to them as proof, especially the, uh, the prediction about King Henry's death. As I brief- briefly mentioned earlier, they claim that Nostradamus was maybe intentionally vague with his verses as to one, escape direct prosecution from the church for using what could be considered devil magic, and then two, to avoid complicit guilt in negative events that will occur. You know, maybe people could think that he had some sort of role to play in in bad things that happen if he predicted them accurately with detailed um, information, right? The quatrains that do not apply to any known world event are either not fully understood, as Nostradamus intended them to be understood, or they simply haven't occurred yet. They can even talk their way out of the 1999 prediction by arguing that the entire translation of the quatrain is actually incorrect, and that he never foretold a king of terror, but rather a king of kindness and goodness, just depending on how you translate it, which some argue did indeed occur in some way, shape, or form in that year. So every loop, every hole, every hiccup has been thought of and explained, and it's honestly quite astonishing the lengths by which these believers will defend this stance. But as I had said earlier, much of it culminates down to a bitter end where neither side can definitively disprove the other. A more moderate explanation comes when you consider that perhaps Nostradamus could only see vague outlines of the future, 
blurry visions that maybe are sometimes correct, sometimes incorrect. And in this way, you can see why, you know, one, all of his quatrains are vague and focus on the imagery of an event rather than the date, location, and the people, etc. But then two, perhaps some of his predictions were completely off target. I mean, I think it's much easier to convince people who who aren't really going one way or the other quite yet that maybe he had some kind of basic mystical abilities that this basic ability led him to predicting something's wrong and something's right. Some also point to this methodology of bringing on the visions. Remember, he was sitting in a dark room for hours on end, staring at the stars or into a bowl of water, perhaps <laughs> lighting some questionable herbs and substances that are being burned around him. I mean, who knows what kind of vision could come about at a situation like that? And if you have enough of them, maybe some of them are right. And perhaps he did have some sort of like intrinsic ability to sense and feel things around him that not everyone can relate to. And this will actually bring me to an interesting modern topic when it comes to psychic phenomena. Because if you think psychic visions are exclusive to Nostradamus, you are sorely mistaken. And I think most people will be surprised to hear about the modern developments in this realm because my oh my, the reality of psychic phenomena is more genuine than I could have ever imagined. Not all psychic phenomena are equal to the grand prophecies of Nostradamus, for there are smaller scale occurrences that have been the subject of recent studies in the field. For example, there is precognition, right, knowing something will happen before it actually happens. There's psychokinesis, the movement of objects without physical intervention. Uh, telepathy, it's communication without an observable uh, sensory perception. And then there's remote viewing, the acquisition of information about a distant location. And for decades, these ideas have been scoffed at by almost everyone, right? And it's easy to understand why these ideas seemingly go against all established rules of science. A famous quote actually from Arthur S. Reber says, parapsychology, which is the study of this psychic phenomena, cannot be true unless the rest of science isn't. And for the most part, this is understandable. I mean, but what happens when empirical, observable evidence flies in the face of this assertion? What happens when science absolutely cannot explain results, real results? What if I told you that psychic phenomena became so undeniable that the US government even opened an entire program called Project Stargate to research the occurrences? And that's right, in 1972, the US government operated through the Stanford Research Institute, SRI, uh, with a reported um, gifted empath named Ingo Swan. These are the people who originally uh, began this project. It evolved into many more people, but the original psychic that they had on their team was this man named Ingo Swan, who in controlled laboratory settings did absolutely extraordinary things. The CIA conducted several experiments, one of the most convincing of which involved manipulating the readings of a machine that measured magnetic fields. Essentially, this machine accurately measured the mag magnetic field around it, and for some reason, Swan was able to change the magnetic readings using only his mind, and that was baffling. I mean, like, magnetic fields are something that, as we understand them, you can only manipulate them with things that exert some sort of force of magnetism, right? How could 
Ingo Swan's brain do that? And, you know, he would he would do it, and then they would move him further away from the machine, and then he would do it again, and then he they would move him into another room and separate him with a giant concrete wall, and then he would do it again. And the CIA was so convinced of his genuine extrasensory power that they fully employed him to help in the interest of national security and research. Get this, on April 23rd, 1973, Swan and another reported psychic named Harold Sherman were locked in separate rooms and asked to test their remote viewing abilities. Again, remote viewing is the ability to see a location that you aren't physically at, right? It would be me sitting at work and, and having an epiphany that my dog just knocked over my trash can, right? You're not physically there, but you've seen something. And you can see why the military might be interested in this technique for the purposes of espionage. But in this case, the two men were asked to remote view the planet of Saturn. This is in 1973, so while we knew that Saturn existed, we had no idea what it really looked like. Well, both of these men, separately, end up describing and drawing eerily similar pictures of the planet. They drew multicolored gas clouds above the surface, which ended up being accurate, but most harrowing of all, they drew a small ring of tiny asteroids circling the midline of the planet. Initially, the experimenters dismissed this and almost laughed it off, but several years later, when the first photographs of the planet came in, what do you know? Saturn does indeed have an asteroid ring around it, which it's known for now. The craziness of the experiments doesn't end there, either. There are countless reports of similar experiments and impl implementations of remote viewing. For instance, another remote viewer in the CIA was tasked with locating a Soviet Tu-95 bomber, which had evidently crashed somewhere in Africa, but nobody knew where. And for a while, all hope was lost that it would ever be found. But sure enough, the location of the plane suggested by the remote viewer ended up being within just a couple miles of where the plane was eventually found. Now, Project Stargate suffered from mismanagement and wavering ownership slash funding, which led to it changing names and then eventually led to it completely disbanding in the 90s, despite the fact that it showed incredible results time and time again. And quite frankly, it was hard for the program to stay afloat when nobody really wanted to believe in their results. But perhaps times are changing a bit. Surveys reported by a High Existence article show that between a quarter and a third of people report having had at least one precognitive experience, most of which, around 75%, occur in dreams. And when you think about it, that's a staggering number of people who A, not only believe in parapsychology, but also B, may have done it themselves at some point. And maybe even you listening are one of these people. So it's not far-fetched to say that there are a lot of people out there who are open to the possibility of parapsychology. Maybe science just simply doesn't understand it quite yet. Now listen to this one. In 2011, uh, 2011 study uh, on precognition out of Cornell University, the experiment involved sitting over 1,000 participants in a chair in front of a computer screen that showed two curtains. The instructions were simple. Click on the curtain that you think contains a picture behind it. The program would then randomly generate a picture behind one of the curtains at the moment that the participant clicked, and it would be random which, which curtain contained the picture behind it. So logic would say, okay, 
the results should show an exactly or roughly 50% hit rate. But no, not even close. In eight of the nine experiments involving these thousands of subjects, a highly significant number of the participants chose the right curtain and statistically significant, which is extremely important in scientific experiments like this. A statistically significant result is encouraging. Now, the, res the, res uh, the researchers were so dumbfounded by these results that they went out and they actively encouraged other labs to recreate the experiment and see if they could get the same results because they didn't, you know, if they got these results, they can't explain why they got them. In total, there were 90 replications of the experiment that involved over 12,000 participants and every single experiment also showed a highly significant positive result unexplainable by statistics and logic and this is where i will open up into my own beliefs when it comes to nostradamus and psychic phenomena personally i always would encourage caution to anyone who thinks reality is fully understood science is constantly evolving sometimes in directions that we would never expect so no you know do harken back to that quote uh uh, about science not it would have to all of science would have to be wrong for parapsychology to be right when you think about that quote i disagree with it i fully disagree with it certain aspects of psychic phenomena are being proven empirically time and time again and to think it's all a fluke is nonsense something real is going on here you can't argue with the numbers especially when you consider recent developments in quantum physics that involves quantum entanglement wave particle duality and this interesting little observation of retro causation this is the evidence that certain subatomic particles act in the reverse order of events that we would come to know in this world and that subatomically sometimes particles sometimes an event can take place before its cause and it's something that's not intuitive to grasp because we always picture time working only in one direction as an arrow and that the universe has to has to behave predictably but modern observations in quantum physics are putting all of those assumptions at risk so it's not unreasonable to think that perhaps there is some sort of extrasensory perception and manipulation that is grasping out at these things, at these ideas, in ways that we cannot quite put numbers to yet. But people like Ingo Swan and perhaps even Nostradamus were able to interact nonetheless. On this point, I am a full believer. I am completely sold. Real psychic phenomena in some forms are occurring out there, and we cannot yet fully explain it. Do I believe Nostradamus was exerting incredible precognition? Not entirely. I mean, I do concede that perhaps there was some very small amount of real precognition going on with him, especially maybe with the King Henry prediction, but for the most part, I do think that his prophecies are way too vague, too open to interpretation, and then too easily swayed with the law of probability to be, la to be labeled as compelling psychic phenomena, in my mind at least. But again, there are things going on that we don't fully understand, that I definitely don't fully understand, and we deserve to get closer to the answers. There are dedicated scholars out there, and an entire journal actually centered around unraveling the truths behind parapsychology. And who knows, perhaps in our lifetimes we can reach a breakthrough, a fundamental explosion of answers that changes everything we know. And perhaps at that point, 
Nostradamus can wink his third eye at us from above. Thank you, thank you for listening in today to another episode of History's Grey Mysteries. I had way too much fun putting this episode together for you guys today, as this is a topic that I feel particularly passionate about, but it does frustrate me just how few and far between any concrete answers actually are out there. Um, Perhaps as years press on, we can unravel more of the mystery behind specifically the man Nostradamus, but honestly, for the sake of all all of us, we should hope that his prophecies don't come true, because... Most of them involve terror and death, and I know there's even one that predicts a zombie apocalypse where I think it's like the dead will rise from their tombs, so yes, as much as I want answers, let's not have the answers come in that form. But anyways, thank you again. I hope you have enjoyed it. I look forward to our next episode, so until then, you guys stay safe out there, and I will see you next time.